Praise the Lord. And uh, beautiful worship this morning. Beautiful day that God's given us. And thankful for that. Again, I'll echo what Pastor David said. If you want to move out to the sun, just grab your chair and move. So no, you won't offend me if you go farther. So I'll be a little loud. Try not to wake up the apartment over here. But uh, maybe it's good to wake them up. But let's read our passage of the day today. We're starting a brand new series in uh, going over our core values. So we're not going to uh, do our, our usual verse-by-verse study. We're going to talk about who we are as a church and what we value as a church, especially as we begin the new year, just to re- remind us and to inform us on who we are and what we're doing and where we're heading and all of those wonderful things that God has for us. So today we're talking about worship and two passages that I'm going to read this morning and keep referring back to is Psalm 95 and then John 4, 20 through 24. So hear the word of God as, as we stand together to honor his word. The word of God says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof. Though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then John 4, verses 20 through 24 says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is the word of the living God. May he write its truths on our hearts. Would you join me in prayer once again? Father, we come to you humble before your word this morning. We come wanting to start this new year off as worshipers, true worshipers. So God, I pray that as we look through these texts and others and just discuss this topic of worship, a gift that you have given us, what you created us for, Lord, I pray that you would work in every heart. God, I pray that you would unite us as a church to be a worshiping people, that we would know and understand what it means, why we do it, and and how we should go about doing it. So we worship you now in all of these ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And uh, so 
we are, again, we're, we're on a new series. We're going to spend the four weeks of January going over the core values of our church. And before we do that, we'll get to this actually at the end, talking more about mission and what that means. But um, if you don't know, our, our mission statement we've had for many, many years is this. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. And as I've said before, that's not a, a unique mission. It's not a different mission. It's the mission of, should be the mission of every church of the living God, every church of Christ on this planet. Uh, and in, in that mission, there's certain things that we, we go about valuing. And, and there's a lot of things that have value, but then there's certain things that we want to focus on that, that really, uh, um, as a church, that we are focused on, that we will go back to a time and time again to say, these are the things we want to uphold while we're on this mission. And there's four things, and we're going to talk about each one each week over the next few weeks. Today is worship. Next week will be gospel, then family, then mission. So worship, gospel, family, and mission. And today, the thrust of talking about worship, what I want you to get, if you get anything today, take this home with you. All of life is worship. All of life is worship. How much of life is worship? All of life is worship. How, did you have breakfast this morning? How many had breakfast? I didn't. I rarely eat breakfast anymore. I guess I'm getting old, right? It's just I don't crave it anymore. Um, your breakfast should have been worship. It should have been an act of worship. And we'll talk about how to do that the best we can. We can't get through everything today, but there's so much we have to discuss this morning. But three questions I want to ask as we go through this main idea and talk about this topic of worship is, is what is worship? Why do we worship? And how do we worship? So those are the three things we're going to focus on today, and I appreciate your, your focus and your attention, and I feel like I'm preaching to the choir because you're already here worshiping, and, you're, and it's cold. <laughs> and again, you can welcome to sit in the sun. It's a lot different in the back if you want to go there, but um, uh, I kind of also think it's a little exciting that we're uncomfortable this morning as we talk about worship, because worship's not always comfortable, is it? So think, keep that in mind as you are shivering a little bit in the cold. And then thank God we're in San Diego and not like Indianapolis or Milwaukee or something like that this morning. So question or number one, what is worship? Donald Whitney, and I've got a few definitions we'll go over and I have one of my own. Donald Whitney says this, worship is focusing on and responding to God. And that really is, is the essence of it. It's, it's looking to God as he reveals himself, and then responding to what we see, to what we hear of God and in God. Um, one other pastor said this, worship is our response. You're going to hear that word a lot today. It's a response. It's our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who he is and what he has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. So I have my own definition I'm going to go over in just a moment of, of worship, and they're all very similar um, a good definition should have all the good similarities, but I first want us to understand the word, the biblical word, the English word worship as we look at it in the Bible. And you're going to see it translated in different ways, but the word worship, as we see it, for instance, in John chapter 4 that we read earlier, John chapter 4, verse 23 says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Worship is mentioned multiple times just in that one verse, and that word is the Greek word proskuneo. Say it with me, proskuneo. 
proskuneo. It's, it's mentioned, it's used over 60 times in the New Testament. And it literally, it's a combination. A lot of Greek words are combination words. And it means to uh, pros, toward, and then kuneo, t- to kiss. So it means literally to kiss toward. Um, it also has the connotation in that to kiss toward. It really is, the, the idea here is a king holding out his hand and you bow down before the king and you kiss the hand of the king. You're, you're, you're kneeling down. You're, it, ha, it, it means literally, it can mean to prostrate oneself, to, to lie down, to bend over and to kiss the hand, to kiss toward. That's the understanding. So when John says the father is seeking such people to worship him, that's the word that's used. You, you, um, there's other words that are used and translated in our English Bibles as worship. Some are translated as service. There's a, a word, for instance, in Romans 12.1 that the ESV translates as worship. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Think of the activity that's going on here. He's an urging, urging what? To present your bodies, your physical bodies, yourselves, as a living sacrifice. Talk about discomfort, right? Put yourself on the altar and get burned up is the, is the understanding. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship in the ESV. Other translations translate it as service or your act of service. And, and, and it's, it's helpful to understand that because in the Bible, actually these words, worship and service, are mingled together constantly. The word there, worship, in Romans 12, is the word letreia, which means service or divine service. And, and it has the understanding of obedience and adoration in the service. So it's not just serving, it's a serving in obedience and adoration to the master. The, um, that understanding of, of worship is actually uh, the, the Old Testament understanding. As you look at the Old Testament words that are used for worship, again, you see worship and serving very closely related, constantly mingled together. And they're used throughout the Old Testament to describe tabernacle and then temple worship. The worship that the Levites would would perform on on behalf of of the people, the, the, the call for the people of Israel to worship God was always a call to serve God. They always went together. And so there's this understanding of of surrender and submission to biblical worship. We see it in in our main text today in Psalm 95. If you look at verse 6, these are the words in the Hebrew words that are used. It says, oh, come, which is an imperative. This is a command. Come, you're commanded to come. Oh, come, let us worship. The word is sacha. Let us worship. It literally means to bow down. It's used 165 times in the Old Testament. Come, let us worship, let us bow down, and then it says, and bow down, which is interesting. It's a different word. The word sahad literally means to bow down, and then in the English, it's translated as worship, and then there's another word, kara, which means to bend, or to kneel, or to bow. Look at the the emphasis here is on this reverence, this surrender, this submission to God. Let us saha, let us worship, and let us kara, let us bow down, let us kneel. Barak is the Hebrew word. It means to bless or to kneel before the Lord, our maker. 
And so there's this, there's this constant idea of, of surrendering, of the position of the heart and of the attitude and the mind and the body of getting down low before God. Genesis 2.15, there's other word, another word used that's also used throughout the Old Testament to mean worship. And again, it goes all the way back to Genesis at the beginning of creation. In 2.15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, says the ESV version in English. The Hebrew word is abad, which is, means to serve, to labor, to cultivate. So, so he's put he creates Adam, he puts them in a garden. And in essence, we'll talk more about this because in February we're going to start studying Genesis. We're going to go through chapters 1 through 11. There's so much there, I can't wait to study it together. Um, when we, but when you see it, you're going to understand that God created, in essence, the world as a temple. Scriptures speak of that constantly in the Old Testament. This is, this is God's temple. It's designed to reflect his glory and to show forth his glory and for him to be glorified in it. So he creates Adam, he puts him in this garden temple, if you will, and he says, serve me in it, work it, serve, labor, cultivate it, and keep it. And those are the same words that are used throughout the Old Testament in the Levitical call for the priests. Work it and keep it. Work and keep the garden, Adam. Work and keep the temple. Work and keep the tabernacle. And, and it's going to carry forth into how we worship even to this day. This word, serve, which is, again, closely connected to worship. It's the word Joshua uses when he gives the challenge to the people of Israel before they're go, as they're going into the promised land. In 24.15, he says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, that's that word abad, the same word that God gave to, to, to Adam to, to work the garden. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, or you could replace it with worship the Lord. Let me do that. If it's evil in your eyes to worship the Lord, then choose this day whom you will worship. Whether the gods your fathers worshipped in the region beyond the rivers or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And so we see, as we look at worship, there's, there's always revelation given, and then, then there's a response called upon to the people, to the creatures, to respond to the revelation of the Creator. You see it again. Look at, look at Psalm 95 again, our, our passage. Just look at, look at verse 1. I want you to see the response. It's a, it's a response. It starts with a response. There's this invitation again. Oh, come, let us, what? Sing to the Lord. That's a response. So there's action being called upon. Serve God this way. How? Sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. So we see singing. We see joyful noise being made. We see, we see this coming into his presence, which means to, to literally come into his face, look into his face. Do it with an attitude of thanksgiving. This, this, this is a call to worship. Literally. This is a call to worship. Let us make this joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Why? Here's the because of the revelation. In verse 3 it says why. It answers. It says for the Lord. Why should you sing to the Lord? Why should you make a joyful noise? Why should we come into his presence with thanksgiving? Why should we do this service, this action of, of, of serving God and worshiping God? For the Lord is the great God. It's based on revelation. This is your why. 
He's a great God. He's a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are, are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Verse 7 says, for he is our God. Why should we come and bow down? For he's our God, and we're the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. As you read your Bible this year, as you take time to go through it, look for the revelation of of who God is. He's showing us himself. He's telling us who he is. And then that, that revelation demands a response. What will your response be? The response is to be a response of worship. So let me give you my definition. There's probably a lot better ones out there. We'll read some in a minute. Guys smarter than me. But here's my definition of worship. Worship is the joyful, right response of the whole being to the intrinsic worth of God revealed in His world and in His Word. It starts with that response. Worship is a response to revelation. Worship is a response to revelation. There's a beholding. There's a looking. There's a seeing. There's a hearing. This, this, the, the eyes are open to see God. And then there's a response to what you see. There's a response to what you hear. That response is to be worship. What is revealed as we open our Bibles, or even as we look around, we say that the revelation is, is in His world, and Scripture tells us that, in essence, He's hung the stars. Why? For His own glory. Imagine that, a universe created so, so we can look up and say, wow, God is amazing. He's worthy. Um, you know, you look at a sunset. You, you, you got any sunset people here? Any of us, how about sunrise people? <laughs> Early morning, no They're all beautiful, right? I have a friend on, on Instagram who the other day he was, he was took off and he was out in the desert and he was posting pictures and he would post a sunrise picture and it was beautiful. The deserts always have beautiful sunrises and they have amazing sunsets too. And then later in the day, there was a sunset picture. And every day he's saying, hey, the battle of the sunrise and the sunsets are at it again. They're both beautiful, Right. It's amazing. We see God revealed in creation, our jaw drops. But then that's not enough, is it? It's enough for us to know God, but not enough for us to know the fullness of God as we know in Christ. And so there's the revelation of the Word of God. He, wrote, he, he, he told us who He is. There's the revelation of the Word of God in flesh in Jesus Christ, which we learn of in His Bible. So we see what is revealed as we, as we study the Scriptures. What do we get? What is revealed to us? And it's this. It's the worth of God. It's the worth of God. That's where we get our English word worship from. It's an old Saxon word, worthship. They speak weird back in those days, right? It's worthship. But in essence, it's a combination. It's worthship. It speaks of worth. It speaks of value. And I ask you, what is the value of God? Think about it. How much is God worth? <laughs> Let's pause for a second before we answer then. Think through this. Think through the whole process for a second. How do we even establish value? How do we establish value for anything, right? 
Most of us are wearing jackets right now. Thank God. <laughs> glad you had a jacket. I bet you that jacket's pretty valuable today. I'm glad you didn't leave it at home, right? You're glad you paid for it or received it as a gift. Whatever it was, that jacket has a little bit more value today than it did in July. Generally, we establish value. Think about, just back up with, think of life in general today. It's, it's about scarcity, right? Why is gold more valuable than asphalt? <laughs> because of its scarcity. Uh, there's scarcity, there's utility, usefulness, right? Things that are useful to us, things that, that we can use and help our lives and, and make things better. So there's, there's, there's a way we establish value like that. The marketplace does that. We give things an estimated value. Um, sometimes that's based upon knowledge. I love those stories of people that go off to, you know, like garage sales and they'll find, you know, the million dollar Rembrandt painting hanging in somebody's garage or something and buy it for $3. And they knew what it was. The other person just got rid of it because they didn't know the value. There's an estimated value. The marketplace puts a value on things, what things are worth. We can decide, and for some of us, some, what do they say, one man's treasures, another man's junk? Right? It, 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 yeah, it, it, you, something you value that I may not value. And so, so we have estimated value. There's instrumental value, value of things that, that help somebody achieve a particular end. Then, then there's intrinsic value. This is value in and of itself, value for its own sake, right? Um, in ethics, uh, they would talk of things that have intrinsic value, things like truth, beauty, things like goodness, things like courage, morality. There's intrinsic value in these things. Think about it. Why do you love a sunset? Why do you want to go to Yosemite and look up at those massive rocks? What value is that? You spend money to go there. You, you go to Hawaii and, and lay out on the beach. Why? What's valuable about that? There's intrinsic value in beauty, isn't there? It's hard to describe, but you just know it. And when we really speak of God, we speak of God in all of these ways. Primarily, we speak of him, though, in his intrinsic value. What is God worth intrinsically? There's eternal, unlimited, overwhelming value in God alone, in him, in and of himself. And when we talk of worshiping God by valuing God, it really is a matter of getting our human estimation to match the intrinsic value of, of God. Where you begin to understand, much like the, the, the person that sold the, the thing at the garage sale for pennies that was worth a million bucks, they didn't know. If they would have known, they would have esteemed the true value upon that item and valued it. Now, as we begin to understand this, we begin to understand what worship is. And so this is why Psalm, we read this earlier, and Pastor David did this as our call to worship in Psalm 96. It calls us to do just this, to give the correct estimated worth to God. It says in verse 7 of Psalm 96, ascribe to the Lord. The New King James said, give to the Lord. Consider it as belonging to the, to the Lord. 
Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the earth, ascribe to the Lord what? Glory and strength. Does your ascribing give God glory and strength? He's already full of glory and strength. Does it add to his glory and strength? Not in none bit. It's for our benefit. And it pleases him when we estimate him to be who he really is. Ascribe to him the glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. That he's worth everything and more. He's worth it all. His worth, his value is unestimable. So we ascribe to him everything that's due his name. How? Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. He reveals himself. Open up your Bible this year. He reveals himself. Hear him. See him. Look at him. Behold him. Consider him. Look at who he is. Consider what he's done and then respond. And now you're worshiping. We talked earlier about utility. Certainly God has intrinsic value, but does God have, is there, is there can, how, how do you, can you use God? Can you even say that? And I would say, in one sense, yes, but not like a tool. You don't grab them and use them for your ends. You, you would use them, in essence, by recognizing that you would, just like you use your heart and your lungs and your kidney. In the same way you use such things, these are the things that without which there is no life. And so it's a recognition that I, in him I live and breathe and have my being. And it's that constant daily thinking process that tells myself every day these truths, that pounds them into my heart, that when I wake up and put my foot on the floor every morning, I recognize I'm only alive because of God. That when I, when I, when I read my Bible, I can only understand it because of God. When I love somebody, it's, I can only do that because of God. And it gives him the worth that he deserves. Two other definitions I want to read briefly about worship. This one's really good. William Temple, he was a former Archbishop of Canterbury years ago. He said these words. Listen to this closely. Hopefully it's on the screen. It says, worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration. The most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. Isn't that not good? You struggle with sin? Temple says, worship. Because in worship, you're caught up in adoration of God, which he says is the most selfless emotion of which we're capable of, and therefore that worship is the chief remedy for self-centeredness. It gets your eyes off of you and gets them on God. John Frame says this about worship. He says, redemption is the means. Worship is the goal. I want you to think about that for a second. Worship's not an event. 
Worship is the goal. Worship isn't a means to an end. Worship is the end. That's where it's all heading. That's where we're all going in eternity. It's going to be all about worship. It's what we're after in everything, in every area of life, in every part of our lives. It's all about worship. He says worship is the goal. He says in one sense, worship is the whole point of everything. It is the purpose of history, the goal of the whole Christian story. Worship is not one segment of the Christian life among others. Worship is the entire Christian life seen as a priestly offering to God. And when we meet together as a church, our time of worship is not merely a preliminary to something else. Rather, it is the whole point of our existence as the body of Christ. We reverse this so often. We, 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 we think that... Um, you know, that Sundays is somehow just for us. And, and the gathering of the church, it's not that big a deal. And, and if there's a good game on, it's okay to skip it. And, and you know, it, it, we fit it into our lives and, and, and we don't make it the focus point of our lives. And therefore, we often don't make the rest of the week the f- worship the focus of our lives. It all flows out of the gathered church. God does this for a reason. He, he demands this for a reason. It's not just a good pep talk. It's, it's driven towards the ultimate goal of where we're all heading together. It's the whole point of our existence is the body of Christ. So that's what worship is. Quickly, point two, why then? Why should we worship? And we've always talked about this a little bit, but briefly, overarching, it's, it's because he's worthy because God is worthy of our worship. But, but in, in flowing out of that, two things, that we worship because we're called to worship. And by call, understand that it's a command, as we said earlier, it's an imperative. In Scripture, there's not a, hey, would you please come worship me? It's a demand God makes upon people. But listen, it's a privileged command. It's as if you lived in the most splendid, beautiful kingdom in the world, and the king says, hey, come have have a feast with me. I'm ordering you to come sit at my banquet table and feast. And you're starving to death. What a command, right? What a privilege. This is a privileged command, and at the same time, it's the most wonderful of invitations. And there are so many things that our culture worships. Self, ambition, sports, vocation, relationships, material possessions, so many different things. So many different people that would want to say that, that, oh, I'm not religious, I don't worship. Or they would relegate worship to a thing a particular group of people does on, on Sundays in buildings or outside in the freezing cold. But listen, everybody worships. Everyone worships. We either worship the living and true God or we worship a false substitute. Think about it. Worship is happening all over the world right now. Worship's happening all over our nation right now. There's in stadiums gathered 50 to 100,000 people coming to worship. Coming to place value on a football team. And listen, I like football. 
So it's not about, you know, you, you, as a Christian, you can't be a football fan or a baseball fan. I like the Padres. I'm a baseball fan. It's all about what has the most value in your life. Because you're going to value things, right? I enjoy sports. I value it. If I value it above Christ, I have a false god. I'm now committing false worship. Everyone is a worshiper. And that's why I said earlier, your breakfast, how you ate breakfast, is either is worship because it's an act of, of displaying how much you value God. Were you thankful for it? Did you give God glory in it? Did you take a moment to, to know that it comes from his hand? That he's your provider? And it goes forth into every area of our lives. And this is the reason we come, one of the, 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 the beautiful benefits of coming together as the church is to remember this, to put God as the priority where he says, gather one day a week for worship. Come, worship me, sing to me, pray to me, worship me. Give me your heart. Show me that I'm worthy in your life. All of our lives should be primarily focused on worshiping God with all our heart, soul, and strength. We're called to worship. Secondly, we're also created for worship. It's the main goal of our lives. And literally, it's, this, it's what it means to be human. This is why everyone can't get away from it, even the, the non-believer. The non-believer will worship something. And here, as God gives us this gracious command, this gracious invitation, it's, it's literally an invitation to be fully and truly human as he intends us to be as we worship him. This is, this, this is really the, the thrust of the, the catechism in Westminster Catechism. Question one, when it asks, what is the chief end of man? Many of us know the answer. The answer is man's chief end is to glorify God, or you could say worship God and to enjoy him forever. Think about that. That's what you were designed for. That's what you were made for. That's why you're here. That's why you got up this morning to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. This is what we are created for. John Piper said these words, the individual human soul rightly seeing the glory of Christ and rightly savoring the glory of Christ is at the heart of God's purpose in creating the world. Until we grasp in some measure why that is the case, we will not be able to give an account for why the corporate reality of the worshiping church is essential to God's purpose in creating the world. Don't take such worship for granted. The worship of the, of the gathered church is not just essential. It's the greatest thing we could do. It's the greatest thing we could do. Do you see it that way? Because that's the thrust of God's word. It's the greatest thing we could do. That's why we value it. We were created to reflect back to God the worth of his own glory. This is the preeminent purpose of the church gathered. And listen, when we don't, because it is the chief end of man, because we were created for this, when we don't worship God, 
even our very humanity is diminished. That's why we worship, among many other reasons, but today that's the thrust. Thirdly, let's talk about how. And I got a list of things that we can share with you, but if, kind of bring it down to us as a, at a church level. If we are going to be a church that's transformed, and if we are a church that is going to be transforming this community, the city of San Diego around us, which I believe God has called us to do, and I hope you're with me. If we're going to do that, then we must be a church that excels in God-honoring worship. We must be. How do we do that? There's many things we could have listed, but here's a few. First, we worship. How do we worship? In spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. This is what we read in John chapter 4. In verse 24, it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit, worship in spirit. That's enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're only enabled and empowered to worship by the Holy Spirit of God. We can't just come in the flesh. We can't do it in and of ourselves. And realizing that is massively important. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the fact that if you're tracking with me today, if you're hearing these words and you're like, yes, that's not you. It's not me. This is the work of the Spirit in us that, 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 that puts the truth in front of us and we drink deeply of it and we're, we're filled to want to just shout with glory to God. Worship is by spirit and worship is by truth. It's to be saturated with and governed by God's word. We don't just worship any way we want. Yes, worship is in all of life. And particularly when we speak of the gathered church here, there's some particulars that God tells us to do. And we, in obedience, don't just pick and choose what we want. Scripture is clear that not all worship we offer, even if it's offered sincerely, is acceptable to God. We read that all the time in the Bible. And so what do we do? We do what God calls us to do. What has he called us to do in his word? We pray the word. We sing the word. We preach the word. We show the word in the sacraments. It's been kind of cold lately, right? In the mornings, our house is cold. And uh, I'm usually the first one up, and so we have a little gas fireplace over there, and I like to go over and turn the fireplace on. And our gas bill is probably going to be pretty high this month because <laughs> it's Christmas, right? It was Christmas time. But I, I go over, and, and I have in the fireplace, and that, as I look at that, it's been reminding me of exactly what we're talking about here. Because in the fireplace... Think of yourself, the human spirit, as that furnace, that, that fireplace. And then you have, in my case, you have a little switch thing that you turn that puts fuel into the fireplace. 
turns the gas on, or perhaps you have some logs and you, you know, you put the logs in there. But I go and I turn the gas on, and then think of the heat that comes out of the fireplace as worship. Reverence, contrition, gratitude, trust, the things that are a part of the attitude of worship, the bowing down. This is the worship. So I get up in the morning and I come and I open my fireplace and I I turn the gas on and then what's missing? There's no heat. Why is there no heat? Anyone want to take a guess? There's no fire. I got to go get my little clicker and go and get my hand out of the way quick. And it goes. (laughs) And then I can go. Ah. What's missing, when there is no Holy Spirit, there is no worship. There is no heat. So you, you, you can have the human spirit. You can have even truth that's proclaimed. But if it's not spirit and truth, you have no worship. This is why worship can be in vain. This is why Jesus told the religious leaders in Matthew 15, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me. So you can sing all you want to, but apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of men, your singing is in vain. Jesus commanded our worship to be in spirit and in truth, and that alone is what gives true worship. Also, a few things quickly. We worship together. We do it together. Worship has become individualistic. Again, the focus is on me and and what I'm doing as opposed to the corporate gathering of the church, and that's not the focus of Scripture. Certainly, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. The trees of the forest sing for joy. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy. Sing, O heavens, and shout, O depths of the earth. Break break out into singing. All that we could go on and on and on about the heavens and the mountains and the hills and the forests and and the rivers and, and the meadows all created to sing the glories of their Maker, and they do but never so magnificently as when the church gathers for worship of their great God. He loves that. Do you? Have you devalued it? The corporate reality of the worshiping bride of Christ, of individuals who come with burning hearts of worship together to to burn a brighter flame for the glory of God. Worship was never meant to have primarily an individual, isolated focus. The Bible reveals that, that, that God's purpose has always been to redeem a people who would declare the greatness of His name through their prayers, through their words, through their singing, through their witness of their life together. Do not devalue the gathered church. What we're doing right now is the greatest thing we could be doing right now. There's great benefit, unique benefits of the gathered church. There's a greater awareness of the presence of God together. There's a more accurate picture of God when we are together. 
Greater glory is given to God when we're unified together. More opportunity for building up others and being encouraged ourselves when we're together. Together we're a supernatural witness to the world. Worship is to be together. Worship is also to be grounded in God's supreme love for His glory. We've already talked quite about that. The heart and the focus is exalting God, not us. And so the question is, does our worship emphasize how we appear to men or solely to God? When you, when you sing in worship, which is just one aspect of worship, by the way, right? A lot of times in, in the church, we've turned just the music or the singing into the worship. How was worship today? Well, that's a big question because there's a lot of worship that happened. But does our worship emphasize how we appear to men or solely to God? Are you thinking about, oh, what's the other person thinking about how I'm singing? Are you here for exalting His supreme love and glory? That's what our heart should beat for. Worship is centered on the personal work of Jesus Christ. He's the, the central person of our worship. He's the focus of our worship. He's the one that the Holy Spirit reveals to us and puts us in front of us. It's all about Jesus, His life, His death on the cross, His resurrection from the grave. Without the cross, we have no access to God. Without the cross, there's no acceptable worship. Without the cross, there's no worship in heaven. We worship the Lamb who is slain. It's all focused on Jesus. It's all about Him. We also worship with reverent celebration and joyful awe. We recognize who we're worshiping, and as such, we're like Isaiah, who, when he was ushered in chapter 6 to the throne room of God, and he sees the holiness of God, he, he, he sees the angels worshiping, holy, 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 and he's like, I, I can't take it. I'm a man of unclean lips, and his lips are cleansed to praise God. So we understand the holiness of God, and, and notice th these things probably look like they're flipped shouldn't we say reverent awe and and joyful celebration sure we could totally say that but i want to be purposeful here because i want us to live in that tension of understanding there's so much to be joyful for but there's also a reverence that we're supposed to come to god with yes there's a celebration but sometimes we not we i would say but there's church out there that that just it's that's all about celebration, and it should be, but don't forget the reverential awe. It's not about how comfortable we can get as a church. It's one of the reasons I'm kind of glad we're cold right now, because church shouldn't always be comfortable. Sometimes our heart should be pricked. Sometimes our conscience should be awakened to lead us back to where we need to be, where we're face down before the throne of the living God. We worship also as two-way communication. I've been in church before, seen it years ago, where the singing was going on and really great and such, and and pastor went up and just said, you know what, we're, we're just going to keep worshiping, which meant we're just going to keep singing. Forget the message. And I'm like, no! <laughs> because it, 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 as Christians in the church today, we've somehow come to the place where we think that that is worship and preaching's not. Worship certainly is 
singing to God, and worship is prayers to God, and worship is giving to God offerings. And, but listen, God speaks to us. It's a two-way communication. So God's, we speak to God in our prayers. We speak to God in our songs. We, we give to God in our worship. And then God, as two-way communication, speaks to us. How? Through the preaching of his word. And preaching is an act of worship. And listening to preaching is an act of worship. And you say, well, that's nice for you to say you're the preacher. You don't understand how much I tremble at what I'm saying here. Knowing that that I'm responsible to, to deliver. I can't just come with Brian's opinion. Brian's word of the day. This must be God saying the Lord speaking. I must open the book and declare the word of God to you. This is what Pastor David and I are charged with. It's helpful to know what is preaching. Preaching is the proclamation of the word through a man by the power of the spirit, which elicits the appropriate worshipful response from the congregation. And it is worship then when we listen to the preached word with a view to obey. With a leaning in, Pastor Hamer used to talk about the RCA Victor dog. Some of y'all don't even remember what that is, huh? You younger. Remember the RCA Victor dog? He, he had that, what was it called? A, a what? Gramophone. It was the, the old days, like record players, and it had this big speaker called the thing. And the dog used to lean in to listen, right? We should lean in to hear, what are you saying, God? That I might obey. That I might go live it. It's not about asking, you know, sometimes you might, maybe later on today. I know a lot of Christians like to go after church and have a roast pastor for lunch. I hope you're not doing that, but feel free. (laughs) But instead of seeing things like, well, how was the preaching today? "Eh, It was okay. Eh, It wasn't as good as last week. I mean, he could have been a little funnier, could have told a couple jokes, could have been shorter. It was cold. Instead of asking questions like that, there's a question they used to ask many, many years ago. Perhaps when worship was a bit more pure. They didn't say, how was the preaching? They would say, how did you get along under the preaching today? How did you get along under the preaching of the word today? And as we grow in our understanding of who God really is, we will be transformed into better worshipers. Lastly, how do we worship? We worship in all of life. It cannot be compartmentalized. So we come together as the gathered church, which is the highlight of the week, which is God's ultimate purpose for his people, is to to all his people to gather together to sing his praises for all eternity. That's where we're heading. And so it's a little preview, if you will, of heaven on earth in when we gather as the church. But then we, we go out of here, we scatter out of here to worship him in all of our lives. From breakfast to bedtime, we worship God in our vocations, in our home life, in our attitudes, 
in our longings, in our thoughts, in our desires, in our words, in our will. We worship God in all of life, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. True worship manifests itself in our living. How, how we live shows what we value most. And that's an easy way to look at it. You want to do a kind of a checkup on yourself? How does the way you live show what you value most? That's it. How's your thought process? Does it value God the most? Is it putting other things in front of him? All of life is worship. And I hope you can see now why worship is our first core value. It's necessary. It's vital. We need it. We are to be a people of worship. And the quality of our worship together doesn't so much depend upon what happens up here or on the stage. You know, I've had people uh, for seasons come up and even after a sermon where I'll go away from a sermon and I'm just like, oh, you know, and someone will add, say, boy, that was a, man, that really transformed my, my thinking, my heart. Thank you. And I'll be like, no, that was horrible. <laughs> that was a bomb. That was not a home run. And it's those moments where God shows me, like, it ain't about you at all. And it's not. So it's not about what happens on the stage. It's about what happens in our hearts. That's what determines the quality of the worship of this church. May our hearts bow down. May we come and worship and bow down. May we realize the vital importance of worship. Hear me, especially in a wearisome world. In a world where it's not always easy to worship. And in the midst of a very imperfect church with imperfect pastors and imperfect people. How much more vitally important is it to to truly worship God? This is why at the end of Psalm 95, it says, Today if you hear his voice. There was this call to worship. There was this reason given for why we should worship, for who God is. And if you hear his voice today, if you're listening to God, don't harden your hearts as they did at Meribah. That was the story in the Old Testament, remember, where they had, they had been delivered from Egypt. They had come into the wilderness and th- they just passed the Red Sea. God had given them manna to eat because they had no food. And then they have no water one day and they're getting mad and grumble. Just grumble, complain. Their hearts hardened. And the call in here in, in the psalmist is worship God. And, and, and don't allow your heart to get bitter when you hear the call to worship. Worship Him when you're tempted, when you're struggling, when you're tested. Don't harden your heart. I've seen hearts harden before in the midst of such circumstances and it just it leads to, the, it leads to pain and destruction. When life isn't going well your way, don't get angry or don't get embittered toward God. Worship God. That's the time to worship. And some of the most beautiful, genuine worship comes from sufferers. I think of Ryan Gamble. 
who, as you've talked to him, who, by the way, we're going to pray for him before we leave today. His surgery is this Thursday. He's going in for the brain surgery. They, it was a thing that just happened a few days ago. They called him and said, we got the splot. You're getting the surgery. It's a big deal. We need to pray for him. But if you've spent any time at all talking to Ryan over these last months, he has been a worshiper of God in the midst of a massive trial. He doesn't know what's gonna, if he's going to be able to come out of this. He, he, he's, you know, how he's going to be. He's, he's unsure how it's going to go. There's, there's a lot of fear. And yet his constant is to keep Christ in front of his own eyes and, our, and us. He's been an encouragement to me more than I have to him. And so when you're struggling, when life is hitting you hard, let me just do this. How many of you in some way right now are going through a trial where it's, it's kind of hard right now? Just put your hand up. Come on, testify. Look around. Look at us. Look at us. How will you respond? The most beautiful thing you can do is worship. What does it look like? Let me read a poem I just read this past week for the first time, and I, I've been reading it every day. Here's worship. This was written by A.M. Overton, who was a pastor in Mississippi back in the 1930s. And in 1932, his wife, they had three children. His wife was pregnant with her fourth. She died, and the baby died in childbirth. And at the funeral of his wife and child, he sat in the church during the funeral and was writing things down. And the pastor who delivered the sermon came up afterward and said, hey, I saw you writing. What were you writing? And he handed him this. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad to know he maketh no mistake. My cherished plans may go astray. My hopes may fade away. But I'll trust my Lord to lead, for he doth know the way. Though night be dark, and it may seem that day will never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight's far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift, all plain it all he'll make. Through all the way, though dark to me, he made not one mistake. That's the heart of worship.